We're very thankful for those who have led us in worship this morning. Truly appreciate your your ministry to us. So Randy and I were privileged uh, this past week over breakfast to listen to a father share a story about his then two-year-old son. This happened 40 years ago on the island of Haiti in the Caribbean. And so in a dream, the father walked into his living room to see, to his shocking amazement, that there was a snake standing to its full height on its tail. And so he left very quickly to head to the closet to fetch a broom with which to come back and kill the snake. But when he returned, to his amazement, the snake had disappeared. And so he walked into his bedroom where his wife and son were asleep, only to find the snake slithering over his wife's body, wrapping itself around the neck of his two-year-old son and strangling him to death. And so it was enough to wake him from sleep with a pant, which in fact caused his wife to awaken as well. When he shared with her this dream that he had just had, her only conclusion was that God would have them pray more earnestly for the protection of their two-year-old child. Two weeks later, their son had such a terribly high fever that it plunged him into a coma. This is a real story, real story, not made up, factual. A, A very high fever which caused him to go immediately into a coma. And so crying out to God in prayer, in a prayer that lasted no less than two hours, His father made this bold bargain with God. God, he says, I am putting two cards on the table and then it is your move. If this is your doing, then let it be that when I'm done praying, I find my son dead. And I'll be okay with that. In other words, God, if this, if this is you doing it and when I'm done praying, my son is dead, then I will know that it is you doing it, and I will be okay with that. However, he says, if you're not behind this, then let me find him alive. He did find his son alive, by the way, only to watch his breath leave his body a few minutes later, which means that he was dead. And so he went back to God and said, God, remember the bargain that you and I made I did find my son alive, which can only mean that it was not you who caused this in the first place. And if it wasn't you, this is a bold bargain, because he says, if this wasn't you, then you lost, he tells God. So this is your battle to fight and not mine. So not long after that, his son started breathing again. And just like Hannah in the Old Testament, who took her son to the temple and presented him back to God, he took his son to church the following following Sunday morning and gave him back to God and said, God, from now on, this boy is yours. Do with him whatever you want. Now, for those of you who were here last Sunday and you heard the gentleman who prayed during the uh, installation service, that was him 40 years ago. And God has certainly 
been using him since. He's now the academic dean at Wesley Seminary University. Wesley Seminary, I'm sorry. And so stories are powerful, aren't they? You have a story, and I have one. Everyone has a story, and each story is unique. Mine is not like yours, and yours is not like mine. Our stories mean that we are human with real experiences. We've made mistakes along the way. We've done things, and we've had things done to us which have now become a part of our story. Some of those things you and I are not terribly proud of, and we would prefer to forget because they are so painful for us. But regardless of what your stories have been and what my story has been, we need to own our stories and not be ashamed of them. We need to embrace them in a way that points to God and his faithfulness in our stories. Because if we're honest with ourselves and we look back at our stories and we look back at our lives, what we will conclude is that God has been faithful to us even when we have been unfaithful to him. And so over the next six Sundays or so, we will be looking at stories. In fact, we're doing a sermon series called Stories of Ordinary People. And in these stories, we will look at the lives of ordinary men and women. It is my hope that as we look at these stories, we're going to see uh, from them that the characters in these stories are just like us. They made the same mistakes, they had the same experiences, they faced the same pressures and temptations as we do. But what makes their stories so powerful and worthy of emulation is because God was present in these stories. He redeemed them and he is using them as teachable moments for you and I to learn from. And so in today's story, we will feature a little-known young man named Jabez. Now, I would not be surprised if you told me that you've never heard of this guy before. How many of you would be honest enough to tell me this is the first time you're hearing this name? Not surprised. I'm not surprised because only two verses in Scripture are devoted to him. And these two verses, by the way, are found in a very secluded uh, chapter or book in the Bible, you seldom read from this book. I guarantee you that not many of you have read from the book of First Chronicles. Because it is a list of genealogies. As you go through these books, all you find is that this person fathered this person throughout the book. But packaged somewhere in there between these verses are two verses which speak to the life and character of this young man named Jabez. So we are in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, and I'm going to read to you from verses 9 through 10. That is all that is devoted to this young man. The verses are going to be behind me on the screen. They tell us this. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, 
and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted him what he asked. Let's look first at the rationale for his name, the story behind his name. Everyone has a name. You do what you do and I do. When you were born, you were given a name. If you are a parent, you have given names to your children. Your name is your identity. It is what people call if they want to get your attention. Now think for a moment about the name that you were given or the name that your parents gave you. Why did they give you that name? Do you like your name? What is the meaning or story behind your name? Now, my mother named me Theodore. I never asked her why she named me that. But I happened to like the name very much. And when I had the privilege of studying Greek and learned that Theodore meant gift of God, I began liking it even more. When Randy and I had our first child, we, we gave her three names. You met her a couple of Sundays ago when she came here. Uh, these names mean pure, beautiful, and lovable. And we named her those names because we wanted her to be the embodiment of all three, and she certainly is. Five years later, we had a son, and we named him Lije Allende, which means chief and conqueror, and we want him to live up to those two names. Now, So this unnamed mother in our text, she had a son, and right there in the delivery room of the hospital, she gave him the name Jabez for one reason and for one reason only. To quote her, it was because I bore him in pain. In other words, I had a very difficult and painful childbirth. Now, pain in childbirth is nothing new. Whenever you give birth, whether it is by natural means or through cesarean section, it is a painful and complicated process. Now, I should know about that because I happened to be there twice. And I have the proof. I almost lost my right hand in the process <laughs> because when the pain hit, a certain person wanted to bite it off. So I know what that means. So every mother, every mother experiences pain in childbirth. But for some people, the experience, for some mothers, the experience is more painful and more complicated than others. Now you have to blame that on Eve because it was her sin way back in the Garden of Eden that made God pronounce this sentence upon her, which has affected, affected every mother since. God says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you will give birth to children. Now, most mothers, however, most mothers, and I'm sure you mothers will agree with me, that you very quickly forget the pain that you endured when you, for the very first time, hold, see, and hold that baby in your arms. Am I right? The pain is forgotten. Not so with this woman. She made sure that she gave her child a name that would make her remember the pain for the rest of her life. It would be a continual reminder to her and to him of what she had endured in giving birth to him. And so whenever that name was called, 
it would bring back this painful memory to this woman. So that's the rationale, the story behind that name. Let's look then at the reputation of his name, the reputation of his character. The Bible tells us that Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. Now look at the contrast in this sentence. His name is Jabez, and it means painful. But look at the contrast. He is more honorable than his brothers. Painful, yet honorable. What made the difference? He's more honorable than his brothers. Now, does, does this mean that he, he was better than his brothers? Not necessarily. But he certainly became more dignified and more respected and more honorable than they. Not that they didn't do well in life, but he did better. He exceeded them to the point where the pain that he caused his mother in childbirth was compensated by the honor with which he seemed to have lived out his life. How was he more honorable than his brothers? Did he accumulate more wealth than they? Did he distinguish himself as a politician? Did he distinguish himself in the military? How did he become more honorable? Scripture doesn't tell us that. But what we do know is that he was more learned, more educated, and more God-fearing than his brothers. How do we know that? Because if you look at First Chronicles chapter 2 and verse 55, you would note there that he was indeed a man of learning because there was a city that was named Jabez, named after him, no doubt. And it was in this city that the scribes, who were the intelligent people of the day, that is where they lived. So obviously, if this city was named after him, he must have had some profound influence on it. In fact, we're told in some Jewish narratives that Jabez became a famous doctor of the law and that he left many disciples behind him. So he was a man of learning. We also know that he was a God-fearing man. How do we know that? Because he lived a life of prayer. He called upon the God of Israel. That means that he prayed to God. He asked him for stuff. He talked with God. He had a, re he had a, a, a relationship with God based on his communication with God. He had an inclination toward God that caused him to call out to God in times of need for prayer. And when he did that, it seems that God responded and blessed him and made him honorable. And so we now need to look at the content of his prayer in verse 10. The Bible tells us that Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border. Some translations say, enlarge my territory. And that your hand might be with me. And that you would keep me from harm, so that it might not bring me pain. And so much like Solomon's prayer for wisdom as a young man, as he was setting about to lead Israel, not knowing how to go out or come in, as he had said then, the same way Jabez set himself to seek God, to put himself under God's blessing and protection. Not a bad thing to do, by the way. Whether you are young or old, to put yourself daily, intentionally, under God's blessing and protection. His prayer may, may not have been a one-time prayer. We only read it once. 
But it could have been a prayer that Jabez prayed repeatedly. God bless me, protect me, keep your hand upon me, keep me from evil. I want us to note some things about his prayer. It is a prayer that Jabez prayed alone. He did not pray it as part of a group. He did not ask a pastor to pray for him, although that is an appropriate thing to do. He didn't ask members of his church or home group to pray for him, although that too is an appropriate thing to do. Jabez prayed this prayer himself. It was his own words from his own mouth to God. What is the point I'm making here? It is this. You've got to learn to pray for yourselves. Can I say that again? Now, it is good to have a pastor pray for you. And it is good to have others pray for you. But you've got to learn to pray for yourselves. You're not too young to pray for yourself. You're not too old to pray for yourself. You've got to learn to cry out to God for blessing. Because we all need God's blessing. And to whom better do we call for blessing than to God himself? For help, for healing, for forgiveness. Even if it means praying the same prayer over and over again until you get from God the blessing you're seeking from him. You've got to learn to push, which I'm told is an acronym for pray until something happens. Got to learn to do that. You've got to learn to pray when your backs are against the wall. And believe me, there are times when that is going to be the case. When some crisis has hit you or when you need God to deliver you from some curse that the enemy has cast upon you. Now some think that Jabez prayed this prayer when he was facing some threats from his enemies. But whatever the reason, let us observe the following things about his prayer. First of all, Let's, let's notice to whom he prayed. The Bible tells us Jabez called upon the God of Israel. He didn't call upon some pagan God who was around him. And there were many. Baal, to whom others prayed. They were fertility gods. There were several pagan gods, but he didn't call on any one of them. He called upon the God of Israel. He didn't pray to the Virgin Mary, as some people use the rosary to do. He did not pray to Mother Earth. He did not consult some medium or spirit or witch or horoscope or Ouija board. He didn't do any of that stuff because none of these things had the power to help him with what he needed help with. They couldn't ease his pain, the pain that was mentioned in his name. He called upon the God of Israel. He called upon the maker of heaven and earth. He called upon the God who parted the Red Sea. All of these things were part of his history. He called upon the God who made the sun stand still in Joshua's day. He called upon the God who promised Jeremiah, Call unto me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not even know. It's a promise that was a part of his history. So I want to ask you this morning, have you called upon this God recently? Did you call upon him before coming here this morning? Do you call upon him 
on Thursday evenings when we have corporate prayer here at church. And might I say just a little bit about this? Because as a pastor, I'm supposed to give leadership and I'm supposed to uh, lead you and direct you. And so I noticed that there is a, a tiny group of men who pray on Thursday nights, just three or four of them. Uh, can we do better than that here at Brown's Chapel? Yes, we can. I'm not quoting Obama's um, uh, slogan now, but, I'm, but surely, surely you agree with me that we can do better than this. And so that on a Thursday night when we have corporate prayer, it is no longer going to be four men. Uh, not that God doesn't hear the prayer of four men, but God hears the prayer of his church. And so we are going to call on him. When crisis hits us, we're going to call on him as well, but we're not going to wait until crisis hits for us to call on him. So that is the God to whom he prayed, the God who certainly could hear and answer. Secondly, let's look at the nature of his prayer. He says, oh, that you would bless me. So this was like making a solemn vow to God. The word bless is from the Hebrew word barak, which means to bring a gift to another who is kneeling out of respect. So as someone is kneeling before you out of respect for you, you bring that gift to them in blessing. It means to do or give something of value to another. And so Jacob is saying, God, give something of value to me as I'm kneeling in respect for you. So God respects us as well. Not only do we have respect for God, but he has respect for us by providing for our needs as we turn to him in respect by giving ourselves to him as his servants. I'm told that a little boy accompanied his mother uh, to the local store. This would have been way back then when we had local stores. Now we have these gigantic stores, but the local store, a country store, a community store, if you will, and the owner kindly passed a jar of candy and asked the little boy to take as many as he, as he wanted to, but the boy held back. He refused. And so the owner himself pulled out a few of um, candies and gave them to the boy, which he accepted. And when they got outside, his mother asked him, well, so why didn't you receive the candy from the store owner? To which the boy replied, because his hand is much bigger than mine, right? So he concluded that he was going to get more from the store owner if he pulled it out than he did. And so here's my question to you this morning. How many of you need to receive blessing from a hand that is bigger than yours? That is why we turn to him, because our hands and not capable of providing the blessing that we need. So we turn to him knowing that his hand is way bigger than ours. How many of you have asked God for his hand, his large hand, to bless your life? How many of you have decided to go about seeking blessings from other hands that are way smaller than God's hands? So God wants to bless you. What we're learning here is that you must ask him to bless you. Jabez recognized that. He prayed, God, oh, that you would bless me. Some translations put on the, the, um, the word there, the modifier, indeed. In other words, would you really, really bless me, is what Jacob is saying. 
Jabez, I'm sorry. Thanks, my wife over there. She likes to help me out. That's why she's a helper. They help me. So Jabez is saying, God, I really need your blessing. I'm, I'm really in a bind because my name, every time it is called, brings a certain amount of pain to myself and to my mom that I really need you to reverse. It is only your blessing that will reverse this curse on my name, he's telling God. It is you who are the God of blessing. It is you who are the God who is able to bless me. It is you who promised Abraham, my ancestor, that you would bless his offspring. And I am one of those of his offspring. It is you who blessed Isaac and Jacob. And I need your blessing on my life. I wonder which young person I'm talking to this morning that really wants to tell God, you know, as I go through my teenage years, it's difficult. School is difficult. College is difficult. Finding a mate is difficult. I need you, God, to do it for me. I need you to bless me. And so I bring you the blank paper of my life and I ask you to write upon my life whatever you choose. That's a very comprehensive prayer. It's a dangerous prayer too. Because you're giving God permission to do with your life whatever he chooses. That means that it is out of your hands, now it is in God's. How many of us are willing to bring ourselves to that point where we say, God, here is the blank paper of my life. Would you write on it whatever you choose? If you would bless me and keep me and do what you will with me, I will be at your disposal forever. That's what Jabez is saying. And so I want to ask you, can you pray that kind of prayer? Can you bring the blank paper of your life to God and say, God, take it and write upon it whatever you will. Let's look at the specifics of this prayer now. Because you see, prayer is nothing more than bringing the specifics of your life, the details of your life to God and say, God, would you please address these details, specifics. And so Jabez prayed for, for four specific things. He prays, first of all, bless me. In other words, God, would you give me significance? And all of us need significance. It is me, Jabez is saying, it is me, O oh Lord, not my father, not my mother, but it's me. I need you to bless my life. It is I who need this pain and this curse removed from my life. It is I who need you to do something in my life that only you can do, O oh God. It is I who need you to bless me because when you bless me, I am truly blessed. When you bless me, no man can curse me. It is when you bless me that I'm going to have real significance in life. When you bless me, no man, not even my mother who birthed me and gave me the name that she did, can curse me. Because real significance, you see, is found not in things. It is found in God. So that was the first thing he prayed for, for significance. Secondly, he prayed that God would enlarge his border. In other words, God, give me influence. You see, borders have a way of confining us, don't they? They restrict us. If you have a border or a fence, you can only go so far 
and no more because you are hemmed in, you are confined, you are restricted. But when you remove borders, you can dream, you can soar, you can expand, you can excel, you can become influential. And so we can have influence, I'm told, across seven pillars of culture. There are seven pillars of culture. And I believe that God wants to make us influential in these areas. Here are the seven pillars of culture. You may have heard them before. Family. I'm beginning there because that's important. God can give you influence in your family. If you are a parent and you have no influence in your family to influence them in a godly way, you need to ask God to help you gain that. You can have influence in the church. You can, have, you can have influence in business, in the media, in education, in government, in arts and entertainment. God can so expand your influence that people in these seven pillars look to you for counsel, for guidance about their personal affairs, about their marriage, about raising children, about the economy, about best practices in business about educational curriculums, they can look to you on a local level. They can look to you on a state level, even on a national level. God can give you influence in these areas. So Jabez prayed. He recognized that. He recognized that he wanted to be a man of influence. And so we too can pray that God would put us in positions of influence. Thirdly, he prays this. Let your hand be with me. In other words, Give me physical protection. See, there's something about God's hand. Not only is it bigger than ours in the sense that it provides blessings, but it is stronger than ours in the sense that it protects us physically. One of the things that you and I must never take for granted is God's protection, especially in the area of travel. When we get into cars or airplanes, going from one place to another, never take God's protection for granted. Never take it for granted that you're going to be able to leave point A and get to point B safely without first taking the time to say, God, would you please protect me as I drive on the highways, fly in the air, travel on trains, go on cruises? Would you protect me physically? And then when you get there, Pause for a few minutes and say, thank you, God, for your physical protection. When people rise up in opposition against you, as sometimes they will, maybe a cantankerous neighbor or somebody at work just has a grudge against you and rises up against you, depend on God for his protection. Ask him to protect you. David the psalmist David always ran to God for protection because he saw that God was a refuge to which he could always run, be safe from his enemies. And we can do the same thing. Fourthly, he prays, keep me from harm. In other words, give me spiritual protection. And so Jabez recognized his need for protection, not only from physical threats, but from spiritual as well. He prayed, keep me from the evil of sin. Now, that's a prayer that we must never leave home without. Let me say that again. Never leave home on any assignment without 
asking God to protect you from evil. Keep me from the evil of temptation, we might pray. Keep me from the evil plans of my enemies. Keep me also from the evil of my chief enemy, who is constantly trying to bring me down. Whether you recognize it or not, you have, as a Christian, you have on your back the word target. And the enemy is always trying to take you down and to take you out. The only way that you can avert that is by asking God, protect me from the evil of my chief enemy. That is why the Lord's Prayer, in it we have the words, keep me from evil, deliver me, Jesus prayed, and taught us to pray from evil. Here's the final point, and then we're going to wrap up. We look at the success of Jabez's prayer. Because this is what we're told. And I'm so glad that this verse ends this way. Because had it not ended that way, we wouldn't really have the hope that this word uh, presents to us. It says this, And God granted him what he had asked. God not only heard what Jabez had asked for, but God granted him what he had asked for. This must be a constant reminder to us that God does, in fact, answer prayers. And we prayed some things on Thursday night here, and I believe that God is going to answer those prayers. Now, God doesn't always answer our prayers the way that we have asked him to or expect that he will, or in the time frame that we think he will do it. But he does answer answer prayers. He gave Jabez significance. He gave him influence. He gave him physical protection. And he also gave him spiritual protection. God granted him what he asked. Let us be reminded of the fact that God will grant those things that we have asked him for. And so there are some of you who are sitting before me this morning. And maybe you are saying, Pastor, my greatest need right now is for God to really bless my life. Because you see, my story is a painful story. Parts of my story really make me so ashamed that I don't even want to think about it or bring it up. My story is one of abuse, one of abuse that was verbal, physical, maybe even sexual, and it is very painful for me to deal with. My story is that something of value was stolen from me, and the memory of it is very painful. My story is that my family right now is being torn apart by divorce, and that is very painful. My story is that I have a checkered past and I don't even want to go back there to think about it because I'm not proud of it. My story involves a terrible mistake that I made in the past and I regret it even up to today. So I acknowledge that. I acknowledge that your story is painful and Jesus knows that as well, that your story is painful. But I would be 
remiss this morning if I didn't introduce you to someone who is willing to reverse the pain of your story and replace it with a blessing. Someone who wants to take the mess in your story and turn it into a message that brings hope to people because they will be able to say, see, I can relate. That's what Jesus does. He takes the mess in your story. He makes it a message that is somehow transferable to others who are going through the same thing. And so this person I'm telling you about this morning, his name is Jesus. He has already taken your story upon himself. He has redeemed it. He just wants you to acknowledge that. And so I want to challenge you this morning, whatever your story has been, to take and make a conscious effort this morning of giving your story over to Jesus. And let him redeem it for his glory. Bring him the paper of the pain of your story and let him write peace on it. Bring him the paper of the shame of your story and let him write confidence on it. Bring him the paper of the mistake of your story and let him write forgiven on it. Bring him the paper of the dishonor of your story and let him write honor and honorable on it. So this morning, if you're seeking for significance, if you're seeking for influence, if you're seeking for physical and spiritual protection, it is all in the story of Jesus who redeems your story. Is there anybody here this morning who wants Jesus to redeem their story? All eyes closed, all heads bowed. I am not a manipulator. I do not try to manipulate people into getting the response that I want. In fact, this is not even a public thing. This is a private thing between you and God. But I know in my spirit that there are people who have heard this and it has resonated with them. If the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about any aspect of this message this morning and you want to respond, this is your moment. In the privacy of your heart, talk to Jesus. As Jabez cried out to him and asked for him to redeem his story, cry out to God this morning and ask him to redeem your story. There are parts of it that you need peace about, whatever your situation. God, this morning, on behalf of your people, I pray that in the stillness of this space, in the stillness of this room, in the quiet of our hearts, that there will be a divine transaction happening right now as you are taking parts, not just parts of our story, but all of it, redeeming it, bringing forgiveness, peace, confidence, blessing. I pray that someone this morning would leave this place knowing that you have heard their prayer and that you have granted their prayer. It is because we have confidence in your name that we pray this. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Will you go today in the confidence that the God of Jabez is your God, that his favor and blessings are upon you. He is not against you. He is for you. May you rest in his embrace and may you know his provision today. God bless you. Have a great day.